You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I am extremely fortunate to sit down today with Mr. Jamie Rojas. Jamie Rojas is a certified life coach, incredible person, incredible energy. He works with people from all walks of life, uh, doctors, lawyers, realtors, even children. He does a tremendous job and he also happens to be a very, very close friend of mine. One of my best friends in this world. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you so much for the invitation and especially thank you for such a warm welcoming. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, Jamie. I must tell the story uh, of how we met many years ago. I came to South Beach after my playing career finished and uh, thought I was going to take over the world in South Beach and realized quickly that it at times is not the most friendly place and I was going through some very, very difficult times and I was working at a corporate wellness facility and Jamie was hired also to be a personal trainer at this company and I immediately... Uh, didn't really know him and I, I, I excuse me I immediately you know had funny feelings about him because I'm like who is this clown coming to work on a skateboard I don't know who he is and he's too friendly and he's too polite and he's too much of a nice guy and he quickly won my trust by helping me through a very very difficult time and since those days he's been you know one of the uh most positive influences on my life and a very good person and uh, I'm certainly fortunate and blessed to have him as a friend so thank you for that now Jamie let's get into what you do for a living who they just told the fans a little bit about who you are and, and where you come from and we'll kind of segue into the rest okay so I'm originally from Cali Colombia uh, I was born on April 1st, 1980, so April Fool's. Every time that I tell people the date I was born, I, be, I get a laugh out of people. So, uh, I, yeah, I was born in Cali, Colombia, South America, and, you know, I just remember uh, being, being, being very challenged as a kid, but always very happy. I always had, like, a very happy outlook, and I moved to the United States uh, in 1999, my dad said, hey, listen, just come over here, and there are a lot more opportunities. And he was absolutely right. So that's how I ended up in the United States. That's also the year I graduated from college. So you graduated to the United States. I graduated from college, and we were both uh, in for a rude awakening in the world. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So after you moved here, where, where was your first move? To, was it to Miami? I actually moved to Hollywood Beach. That's north of Miami Beach, of, of South Beach. And what was that like as soon as you arrived? Did you did you instantly say, 
wow, it, things are a lot different here. Or were they a lot different? I mean, I've never been to Cali, Colombia, so I, I, I don't know. I assume so. Yeah, it was uh, it was very challenging for me at the time because, uh, you know, I had a lot of friends in Colombia and then I moved to the United States and I don't know anybody here. I have, uh, there's a language barrier. I have, you know, a hard time communicating with people. But uh, I used to go... Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you... Did you speak great English when you first arrived? Mm, I don't know. Not at all. You didn't. No, okay. not at all. So this I'm is still, what we need to know. So yeah. t- how did that go now? How, how, how well did that go over? Oh, God. It <laughs> went horrible because I knew what I wanted to say, but I have a language barrier. I couldn't communicate. And I remember that I used to go to the beach every morning. My dad used to work at a hotel uh, called the Sunspa Hotel. It, it, it doesn't exist anymore. And... Basically, I used to park. The only reason I used to, I love going there was because there was a parking spot right there and I could just park for free and go for a swim. Oh, right, right, right. And we all know how hard it is to get close to the beach to park in yeah. South Florida to just jump in the water and jump out. It's not possible. You're yeah. walking five blocks at least. And by the time you get there, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's not, Miami Beach is not, or the beaches in South Florida, it's not, hey, let me park right in the beach, jump in the water, jump out. It doesn't go down like no, that. No, no. You have to be, uh, you got to know people. So yeah. the, I was fortunate enough that my dad used to work at this hotel. So I used, like, people knew me, and I just parked there, and I just go for a swim. And um, it was funny because I met a guy. His name is Bruce Wilkie, uh, and he was an ocean lifeguard, and he spoke Spanish. And he looked like a white guy, so I was thrown off. And his last name is Wilkie because he's half Scottish. And... Uh, he says, hey, you come, you like to swim here a lot, right? He goes, yeah, I love swimming. He says, yeah, you should take the lifeguard test. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's like, hey, you like throwing the football around? You should try out for the NFL. Hey, um, but, but wait, were you a uh, good swimmer? I know you were always a good swimmer, but you were you a really good swimmer then? I was an awful swimmer. Okay. I didn't, I didn't, because you see, growing up, I suffer. I had asthma. I never, I couldn't play any sports. I, I, I wanted to play sports, but. I just couldn't. I just couldn't breathe. And um, but there was a TV show, Mark Magnile, <laughs> that I don't know if you're familiar with. It's called Baywatch, and I used to love Baywatch. And I remember. Hold on, time out. You watch Baywatch because you want to be a lifeguard. Did you watch Baywatch because of Pamela Anderson? Because we have, I would say, eighty percent of the people watch Baywatch because they wanted to watch Pamela Anderson. Then you have maybe the females in the country at the time. Maybe they were watching Hasselhoff. And then there might have been a very small percentage of people who wanted to actually be lifeguards. I didn't want to be a lifeguard. <laughs> I only wanted to see Pamela Anderson. And there was this girl. I believe her name is Erica Ilyniak. If I'm, not, if, I don't know if I'm pronouncing the, the oh, last I name. I actually remember. She her. was gorgeous. And she I had, had black crush. hair. Wait, she had black hair. No, no, no. She was she was the blonde. In the oh, first the, season, she's the other. You one. see, the first Baywatch that. came on 1989. That was the oh, and then first it went season. off, and then it came back. Right. That's right. So. I I loved uh, the 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 TV show and I, I had a crush on this girl, and I remember you had a, you mean to tell me you had a crush on a blonde yes American girl exactly <laughs> that, welcome to my world. So I remember the theme song and I used to do push-ups and I said my goal was to do as many push-ups as I can until the theme song is over. So and I just like I just did that and then when I came to uh, when I finally moved in '99, this guy says to me just out of the blue. Like, oh, you should take the lifeguard test. And I said, oh, you think I can pass? He goes, oh, yeah, you're a, you're a great swimmer. 
<laughs> oh my god and, and just tell them a little bit about what it was like then I mean, it may have evolved a little bit but i've had the i don't know want to say the torture or privilege of swimming with the lifeguards at times mostly swimming with jamie and swimming on your own in south beach frolicking through the water is not like swimming with a lifeguard and they are going at it they're jumping out of the water they're doing triangle runs jumping back in the water swimming buoy to buoy all that all while you feel like you're going to drown and you're gasping for air the whole time tell us a little bit about the lifeguard test at the time well the the one thing i didn't know at the time was like the first thing that i asked him hey can i just take the test he says yeah anybody can take the test and you'll pass but what i didn't know is that hollywood beach was the only beach in the country that would just hire people out of the blue why most lifeguards uh, uh departments they require an emt an emergency medical technician uh certification and and a background in lifesaving but hollywood didn't have any of that the only reason they didn't have any of that is because the level of of athleticism to be part of to pass the test was just so high and guys that would fail as a as you know they they let's say guys that aim to be in the olympics or guys that competed for jamaica and they were really good athletes they say hey we know how to swim we're good athletes let's become lifeguards so the level of athleticism was really huge and i just could barely swim so that was it was very challenging uh to me at the time because uh the test they used to give the test every tuesday and i took that test for a whole year and it was so frustrating but uh there's something that there's a funny story about it mark that i remember that i took the test and i told everyone back home that i was gonna be a lifeguard i said hey you know that that tv show baywatch I'm going to be hired as a lifeguard. So guess what? <laughs> and you said it's just like that. Exactly. But, and I just, I'm running my mouth. Oh, yeah, I'm going to start working as a lifeguard. Now everybody sounds, is asking me. This sounds a lot like the Buster Douglas. I'm telling you. I, I, my mom told everyone I'm going to beat Mike oh. Tyson. And Buster Douglas was saying, you know, mom, please chill out because it's Mike Tyson. He's never <laughs> lost in he's the best in the world and he's like she, no you be fine yeah like, that is <laughs> so you exactly. told everyone and then you had to take the test and i'm taking the test and i'm failing failing and every time that i take it i'm going oh, back you, oh so you did take it multiple times and and how many times did you take it i took it for a whole year and i it was every week i would show up and i remember after a while people this guy started giving me an attitude i remember this guy kevin channer i'm good friends with him now but i remember he looked at me and he said stop coming here you're not going to pass. You're not going to. Well, how, well, let's, how far off were you? How far? I was probably five minutes behind. And sometimes I would not complete the test. I would just like. Stop. I would go all out on the first 200 yards and just burn myself because it was a 500-yard sand run, very soft sand. And then you have to do a, a 500 uh, swim. And I would use, I mean, again, I never competed. Nobody ever taught me how to do anything. So I just said, just go all out, just one gear. That's not how it works. Right. I, I and, but how, so how are, you, how are you prepping for this in between your, your tries? 
the swimming hall of fame i went and i spent the little money that i had in a coach and the first thing that i that i told coach nobutaka from japan was here are 500 dollars. that's all the money i had and i said but i need you to make me pass the test do whatever you need to do but i need to pass this test right. and he says kid that's not up to me <laughs> it's all up to you i said i'll do anything and after second practice, he pretty much bailed on me and he gave me to another coach to coach Alex because this guy wanted to train real swimmers and he realized how far behind. How much work was to be done. Yes. Yeah, that's usually the case. Uh, it's usually the case with, I mean, it's not the case with all coaches or teachers, but when they realize that they have to buckle down and put serious work in, let me pass you off or hand you off to another coach. All right, so they gave me to a new new coach that came from Brazil, another immigrant. Say, hey, give it to that guy. Mm -hmm. And the guy took me, you know. And um, he Some people are ready for that challenge, though, and they want that challenge. Yeah. And he beat you down? He did, um, in a way. But I, for the most part, I would just look at the coach, and the coach was drinking coffee, talk, talking to the girls. I'm like, coach, how did I do? He says, give me another 100. And I said, but tell me something. He said, give me another 100. That was pretty much the coaching that I got from Coach Alex. So then you you finally tell us about you you passing the lifeguard test. Oh my God! I remember one time that I the time to beat was nine minutes and thirty seconds, and I did nine thirty one. Oh my God! And I was so frustrated, but you know, to make a long story short, my time when I passed the time to beat was nine thirty. I did nine twenty nine. <laughs> That's the time that I passed. Oh I remember Did running. Did you cry? Did you cry? Oh, of course. I was just like, you know, the feeling. When I look at people in the Olympics and they're crying, I'm going, I know the feeling. Nobody else knows that, but I know the feeling because that's that's how that's what it felt like for me, and and, and that's actually what it was. I've never done any athletic up until that moment and then for me to pass this test and i already knew over a year mark i'm talking to these people so they know me so these guys you know with all of them are very excited and i already know their names we hung out a few times so i'm like already their friend they're like oh my god it was about time so it was very exciting for me at the time to pass that time uh the, the lifeguard test they must have been ruined for you at that point because i know like anyone putting that much effort into something I'm rooting for that guy all day. There was 25 people at the finish line. Lifeguards. All and yeah, lifeguards. all lifeguards. There were two cones. You have to get out of the water, run up the hill, and cross the cones. So trust me, chariot, chariots are fire. I literally, I'm look. They just, I just hear. I'm, I could barely see because I had a water in my goggles. So I'm like, it's fuzzy, and I'm, I just hear, go, go, and I just dove into the sand like at 929 <laughs> <laughs> and i see that being like one of those moments the chariots of fire moment when yeah. you celebrate at the end or yeah. like uh, the natural hitting the home run oh absolutely but um that that's a tremendous story so you, you know you you pass the test thank goodness you're a lifeguard what was your experience life as a lifeguard because when i first met you i used to the first question i asked you was hey have you ever saved someone from drowning and there's also another good story we both know, but yeah. tell us about the other ones first, and I'll tell the if you don't mind. Well, I love the job. It was the best job I have ever had because here's the good thing: everybody, everyone back home, I'm sending pictures back home, and everybody's like, "Dude, this guy's like Baywatch." And at the time, the the swim trunks, 
the the uniform was just like Baywatch. It's identical on the rescue yeah. buoy. So I'm posing. I'm taking photos. Oh, you must have been. Thank God there was no Facebook or. Oh God. Uh, it would have been. It, it, it would have been abused. It w- It was amazing. But there was a guy. There's always been that guy. His name was Victor Fox. This guy did not say much, but this guy was an animal, and this guy was crushing every race. Oh, younger guy, seasoned guy, older yeah, guy. Yeah, no, he was he was young. He was probably twenty six years old. But this kid started swimming when he was like four years old, and this guy was on fire. And I wanted him to take me under his wing, but of course he didn't have time for someone like me. So I used to watch him, and and the the interesting thing is like. If he go out in the surf ski, that's a kayak. It's a very narrow kayak. I'll do the same. Do everything he does. Everything that he would do, I would do. And the guy used to hate me for that. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> the guy used to hate me for that. And I would just try to get a question like, hey, what do you take? Do you take protein? Do you take supplementation? You know, but let me stop you. I'm sorry. The, You know, some people take that the wrong way, but I guess... I guess that could be a form of a compliment or flattery. I mean, you want to be like the guy. You idolize him. You're looking up to him or you're looking to him for guidance. He's got the experience, and that that, that can be a huge compliment. Did he take it that way? Not at all. Absolutely (laughs) not. I remember one time that one of the, um, the workouts, because you have to, in Hollywood Beach, you have to work out every morning. Roll call, you show up with your shorts and you got to go work out. Other beach patrols don't do that. But they do tell us. And I went with you one time. I remember that. But these workouts aren't like the easiest workouts. Like oh. They hammer you down and you're expected to be able to handle it. And not only handle it, but they, you're expected to overachieve in every workout. Like oh. You don't not do well in these workouts or you're not holding the standards. Oh, of course not. Um, a lot of the guys that work at Hollywood Beach at the time, was the whole water polo team that defected from Cuba. So the, the, the level of athleticism, these guys were like Olympic swimmers, literally. And they all became lifeguards. So I'm trying to keep up with these guys. Mind you, they're just going through the work. But those guys going at 20%, it's, their level is so high that it's, it's, just it's chilling, impossible. Chilling it. Yeah, they're chilling. They're not even trying, but they're going so fast. And I remember one workout, we have to run uh, a mile and a half. And it was very windy. And I decided to draft of Victor Fox. I remember 20, probably a quarter of a mile. He stops and he pushed me. And he says, don't you dare. You were running. I was oh, drafting. Tri- okay, I, because it was very windy. The wind was probably 25 miles an hour, if not more. And it was raining. And I decided to draft of Victor. I said, let me see how long I can keep up with this guy. This guy did not take that well. And from that moment, I was just like, I made my goal. I said, believe it or not, as crazy as that sound, I said, I'm going to beat this guy. Because this guy, like, literally pushed me. Like, he wanted to fight me at that point. And this guy was a lot stronger than I was. Right. But, um, you know, that was that was a motivator for me at that moment. So, it sounds like, you know, you, you had an incredible experience as a lifeguard. And then at what point do you come to Miami and do we meet? How 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 much how long after? That was probably about six or seven years later, because uh, as you know, I I went away. I, uh, I I spent some time in prison for money laundering, and all because of the people that I used to spend time with. 
and because you were in now let's clarify because people should know like you know what you, you weren't the head of this thing but you know share with us obviously what you're comfortable with we tell them all the time no, we both went to a, uh, we went Friday, we went to the Miami-Dade Corrections and Rehabilitation Boot Camp for the younger uh, people who just before they're uh, adults and who have made mistakes, all kinds of mistakes to drugs, crimes, and we tell them that you are who you spend your time with. And that's inevitably what got you in trouble, correct? Absolutely. So... Well, you see, growing up in Colombia, I can relate uh, to a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a big, I love movies, and the movie's Goodfellas. You know, you know Henry Hill. You know he grows up in this neighborhood, and all he sees around are just like nice Cadillacs, and you know this these wise guys. You know who have they have everything, and the same thing happened to me growing up. So um, at that time, I used to see these guys, and everybody would respect them. And it was not respect, it was rather fear. People were, you know, afraid of these guys. And I translated that into respect. And I said, hey, listen, I want to be respected. I want to be like this guy. So I met a group of guys because also one of my passions is motorcycles. I love Harley Davidsons. So um, my dad at that time had saved all of his money and he purchased a motorcycle. And at that time, I decided to go riding. And then I met these guys, you know, and that was it. That was it for me. And I you said, looked up to them because they had the bikes and they were cool. And you wanted they to be like the them. girls, the cars, everything. I was like, you know, hey, my family is the most boring people. Everybody that I know, it's just like going from a nine to five. And uh, Yeah, exactly. And, and as we've of, we often say and we often have heard, it's not what your parents say or your, your loved ones say kids will do what they see that's what matters most and you saw that and I, why wouldn't someone want to be cool and get the yeah. attention i think we all want that at a certain age yeah. we all want that we i've learned today mark that we are the result of our role models you know and and, and a lot of times a lot of people don't realize that we pick up role models sometimes consciously and we say yeah i want to be like this guy but a lot of times it's unconsciously that we don't realize with our conscious awareness that you go, oh, I like that guy. And we're picking up, you know, patterns of speech, you know, even the way we walk. You know, it's all this programming that happened early on. And at that time, I just wanted to be cool. You know, I wanted to be respected. And then this guy found out that I was coming to, I was moving to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, say, hey, can you pick up some money for me? I said, Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking well, about... Why wouldn't th- I do that? Because I'm going to do something for this cool guy, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm in. I'm in, yeah. The guy's, I'm thinking, you know, he wants me to go pick up $2,000. You know, so I'm like, hey, you know, I pick up $2,000 with this guy, and it wasn't $2,000. <laughs> was, it was a lot of money. Yeah, I remember uh, the money was $162,000, and I was blown away. I had never seen... <laughs> That much money in my entire life. And at what point do you go, hey, sorry about that. What point do you go, um, something's not right? Do you ever do that? Or you just say, no, it's just more money and it's cool. I was scared. You were scared. I knew right in that moment. I was like, this is not a favor. 
you know, just like, hey, go ahead, pick up the delivery or pick up my mail type of thing. And it was it was very scary because I grew up in a, in a family that is extremely conservative, very conservative. And, very straight arrow. Oh, absolutely. So for me to do that and, and next thing you know is $162,000. So to, you, you got it in a bag? You have it in a bag? Yeah, and a, little, and a little, yeah, and a little, like a gym bag. And you have it in a bag and you're getting back on a plane, bringing it back or? No, I brought it to the house. I brought it. My dad doesn't know. Okay. <laughs> my dad doesn't know, but here's the funny thing. I have to now count it, Mark. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to count it and there was like $800 or $900 short. And at that point, at that time, I was going to make like two grand. And now I'm like $900 short. Uh oh, oh so that's when say? trouble began. I was just like, what do you ah. say? What do you tell the guys that are expecting all of the money? Oh, the, I call this guy and say, hey, listen, you know, there's the money you told me, the amount that you told me that was there. I counted it and it's not there. This guy goes off on me. This guy says, oh, my God, those people are so straight that they there's never been an issue with those people. And now you come in and now there's money missing. I couldn't sleep. I was like, do I pay it? Do I tell the guy, you know, this is what's happened. I made a mistake. I, I miscounted the money. It's all there. But that would have meant that I was only going to make like 300 bucks. Right. You know, because I'm not making that much money. And it, it was it was awful. I really hated it. You know, but uh, but the, the other guys, like, hey, listen, just. Don't worry about it. I trust you. Just if that's the amount, just tell us the amount and that's it. That'll be it. And I had to summon up the courage to tell this guy, no, that's that's the money. It's not complete. And that guy hated me forever since that moment. I don't know what happened to that guy. And that, that guy, years later, he turned out to be the guy who ratted on everybody and, and especially on me. Yeah. So. So as that goes he rats you out and you end up i ended up i ended up it was funny because it is five o'clock in the morning i'm going to the gym and i leave the house and all of a sudden i see a police car behind me it's pulling me up and i'm thinking pulling you over on a pulling me okay. over. are you on a bike or in a car i'm in a car he pulls me over, and I'm thinking the first that my initial thought was like, let me put my seatbelt on. <laughs> I don't have my yeah. seatbelt on. Yeah. And as soon as I roll you, the you, window. You wish it was for your seatbelt, right? Oh, God. You're like, please give me a ticket for my seatbelt. I had a gun to my head. Oh, my goodness. And my first reaction, I said, sir, you've got the wrong guy. You said that? <laughs> That's the first thing I said. I'm like, I don't know. Why is this guy pulling me over? Right. He had a, I had a gun to my head. I was like, sir. My name is Jamie Rojas. I work for Hollywood Ocean Rescue. And the guy, the, the guy's like, do you have any guns on you? I'm like, no, I don't have any guns. You, you didn't get... own a gun, right? No, I'd never owned a gun. In South Florida, it's kind of like the Wild West. Everyone owns a gun. Yeah. Everyone owns a gun. I have a, you know, uh, a concealed weapons license. I mean, everyone. I mean, I know people who. Have several. <laughs> I have a woman who's I train who's in her 50s. She gave me a nine millimeter Beretta for Christmas. I've never seen such a thing. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. So you don't have a gun. Yeah. <clears throat> so the guy, you know, pulls me out of the car. And then the next thing you know, 
a guy, an agent from the DEA, Jeez. comes up to me, and it was just like in the movies. They put me, they uh, they arrested me, and basically uh, they wanted an information about where these guys were. And next thing you know, I'm in maximum security in Miami Federal Detention Center, uh, headed towards Washington, D.C., and I'm going, where? Why am I going to Washington? It's like, no, because we're gonna. this is a big case, and we're going to trial everyone in the Capitol. So when reality, you know, hits me, I am three floors underground in solitary confinement. And these people are squeezing me for information I didn't even have. And... I don't know. I don't know. Again, I always tell people, I don't know what you guys think about numbers and stuff, but I spent nine months in that situation. And to me, nine months represents so much these days because I call it, it was my rebirth. Well, what's it like for you when you're going through that? Tell us a little bit about that experience. What's going through your head? How are you spending your days? Well, the minimum, I, I started on guideline 42. That's the minimum. It's 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to have to spend 20 years of my life in this situation. And I'm literally, I mean, three floors on the ground because there was a there's the elevator. It takes you down there. And it was just awful. I remember that I used to sing through the vent, you know, through the air air conditioning vent. I used to sing and there was a Puerto Rican guy. And I used to sing to this guy all freaking day. And the funny thing, I, I think about this stuff sometimes. I never met the guy, Mark. You never ever got to Never got to see his face. You he talk, never got to. And, but I, we, I used to sing to the guy every single day because I, was just, I love music. And I used to, we have nothing. I mean, we're not allowed to have nothing in there. It's funny how, what you, what, it's funny what you hold on to and how you bond with people in, in the worst of situations. You, it's your it's your lifeblood, maybe, just finding something. And the funny things that I, that, that I think about today is, I wonder how many times I ran into that guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You probably, you probably crossed his path maybe, you know. More times than I could think. A handful of times in your life, you don't even yeah, know it. Right, I'm probably going to have to start singing. He probably recognizes my voice. Yeah. I don't know. Phew. So, while you were in there, do you, I know you, and you probably did a ton of visualization on what, one of the things we talk about when we talk to those kids is, you know, you're going to make mistakes, mistakes are not bad, being a mistake repeater is bad. How are you planning and visualizing your life's going to be and what kind of changes you're going to make while you're in there? What kind of things are you telling yourself? What do you want for yourself when you get out of there? At this moment... I'm not thinking about anything except one thing, food. Somebody wrote on the upper bunk, cheese burger. <laughs> and all I can wake up and I read cheese burger. All I can think about, Mark, is one thing, food. They give you enough food just to keep you alive. And the AC, the temperature, it's got to be in the 50s. And you oh. have a little tiny sheet. Not like, not like a blanket. You have a little sheet. And you are in fetal position because it's so cold. And that's how they keep you, you know, still. You know. Yeah. So, 
I mean, I'm, I'm going to answer your question. You know, when I started questioning things, it was down the road because I go back here. I, this is when I get esoteric and elusive and, and fuzzy. There was a guy back in the days, a lot of people don't know this, but Anthony Robbins used to be franchise. So he used to teach his method okay. to people in different cities. And, you know, people used, used to do Anthony Robbins seminars. One guy, his name is Benny Morris. He was locked up at the, because after I got sentenced, I was sent to Miami. I, w- I ended up in a camp because I was a nonviolent offender. I had no weapons or I didn't even have a ticket on my driver's license. So I met this guy and this guy has a class called personal development. I have no idea what personal. He was the Tony Robbins assistant kind of guy, right? Yeah. One of his many disciples, so to speak. Absolutely. But in prison, you see, you either have to have a job, teach something or do something. You know, you got to. So he was one of the guys in there. Yeah, he was. He was an inmate, just like everybody else. But one of his jobs was to be a teacher. He was like, I'm going to teach and I'm going to teach a class called personal development. And I, the only reason, I gotta be honest with you, I don't know how shallow <laughs> I was at the time, but the only reason I went to the class is because the banner that he posted in, in the hallway was a, a brain, the picture of a brain with two big biceps. Okay. And I was like, oh, I like, it's just gonna be like how to train, you know, the, the biceps, you know, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna make my brain stronger. I'm like, what the heck? I'm gonna jump in that class. This guy, Mark Magna, is probably five four uh-huh. you know he's the short guy and as soon as i walk into this room there are all these it reminds me of the movie blow for a second when everybody's taking by the way that movie was on last night i watched like 20 minutes of it oh yeah i love that movie george young george. from massachusetts yeah exactly. made 60 million before he was 25 yeah and there's a scene by the way let me stop right there because there's this scene that i love about it and it, I, I get the chills when they're sitting in the table and he's on the run this is at the end? This is No, this is not at the end. This is towards the end. But but George is talking to his dad, Ray Liotta. And, oh, yeah. and he says, and he's smoking. He says, Dad, let me tell you something. I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. I mean, really I, good. I, I know this. And he well. says, I know what he says. Let me tell you something, Georgie. You could have been great at anything. Yeah, you would have been great at anything you did, George. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> you, you, you. You get what you ask for, you know, and you are, you can be good at anything, right? Yeah. Whatever you focus on. You were focused on being a lifeguard, you became that? Yeah, absolutely. So going back to my story, there's this guy, again, Benny. He's at the class, and I sit down. Everybody's got notes, and we're all looking at each other like, who? This guy is yelling, yes, yes, and he's made doing a karate move. And I'm thinking, who the heck is this weirdo? Right. Little did I know, now I know he's conditioning his body, he's firing his anchors, he's putting himself in a peak state because he's about to deliver something of huge importance to us. I'm like, who is this weirdo? I sat down, Mark, and literally five minutes later, my life has transformed completely. I was like- Two minutes. Literally, two minutes. I'm sitting down, just picture this. It's probably four o'clock in the morning, for four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm sorry. We're all sitting there, and this little guy says, "Okay, everybody has you pen and paper ready." I said, "Yes, okay." So the first thing we want to write a few things down. I'm like, "All right, whatever. Let's go write it down." He says, "This nothing in life has any meaning except 
the meaning that you give it. Wow. And I thought, hmm, what does that mean? I say, and he goes, he goes, listen, you could say this is the end or you can say this is the beginning. And I'm like, hmm, you have my attention. Right. Second belief system. People do the best they can with the resources that they have. Wow. And I'm writing this whole thing down. And he's elaborating on every single one of this belief system. And then he says, there is no such a thing as failure. There is only results. Mm. And I'm writing this whole thing down, Mark, man. So, and then he's going on and then he's writing, and I'm writing down these things. And then he says, whatever you focus on is what you get. So he goes into about seven belief systems and Mark, I am excited. And then all of a sudden I am angry. <laughs> this is an emotional roller coaster on this first five minutes. I'm going, why? How come nobody ever told me this? Why is it that it took this pain and this suffering that I'm experiencing right now? For me to get to learn these things. I'm so mad. I'm mad at the world. I'm mad at everything. But then I can't help it. I have the notes right in front of me. It says nothing in life has any meaning. Except the meaning that you give it. And I thought I decided in that moment. I said listen. This is going to be my beginning. And then I. I took this class. I, I was so excited. I was telling everyone, Hey guys, you got to take this class. You got this guy's amazing. And then everybody is, what's the class about? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I'm not going to, you got to go and take this class. Right. So I'm so excited. And then he, he goes around and I'm like, listen, I need to talk to you, bro. And, and can I ask you more questions? And he says, what do you need to know? He's, I said, how do I go? How do I learn more about these concepts? And he gives me a book. He gives me a little tiny book. And the book is called Jonathan Livingstone Seagull by Richard Back. And it's a story about a little seagull. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, please. And, and, and the idea is about the seagull. He wants to go faster than any other seagull. Because basically seagulls, what do they do? They just go and eat fish. And they just hang around. And, but this guy wants to go faster. And everybody goes, no, that is impossible. You cannot go any faster than that. This is what we do. We just eat fish. You should be comfortable with this. And this book is absolutely fascinating. And it literally took me about an hour to read this. And my mind, Mark, I'm having the popcorn experience in my head. <laughs> That's all I can hear. I go, go, pop, 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 pop. I'm so excited. And... All I want to do is like I went. I remember going into uh, into the office and talking to the counselor. I wanted to move in. I wanted to be his his bunkie. You know, I wanted to be his roommate. Right. Because I was just so excited with this guy. Unfortunately, well, we couldn't move in, but uh, he's giving me more books. And the second book he gave me was Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Great book. Great book. Mark, if you I'm haven't going. read that book, you have to read it. Everyone has to read that book. I've read that book maybe four times now. And I know you've read it several times. Tell me. It's unbelievable the experience that I'm having. 
And it's really, and it came at the right time because at that moment, <laughs> there was a male guard that had just fallen in love with me at that time. Oh boy. So here I am locked up and there's this guy in love with me and he's patting me down and he, he has a mirror in the shower. Oh God. And he's making me all the offers and he said, you could live here so comfortable. Oh no. Or you can live here so miserable. Oh my God. So it was, it was absolutely, it was very challenging time in my life because having to deal with this guy, uh, I, I have, I guess a lot more compassion sometimes when I, when I, when I talk to my female clients and I tell them, listen, I know how you feel when a man takes your clothes off just the way he looks at you. Cause oh. I deal with that for two years, every single day. Oh my goodness. So, so yeah, it was very challenging, but it was, it was absolutely transformational moment in my life because I, I couldn't be the same after that experience. I could not go back. I can only imagine. I mean, I don't believe anyone could ever be the same. Just the, the things you had to deal with and then the PTSD from that, the stress from that, and then how it affects your, your, your thoughts and, and how you view yourself. Well, I'll tell you what, man. One of the things, you know, when you're incarcerated, there are two things that you talk about. There's food and then there's females. Right. So you're thinking about your first meal <laughs> and you're thinking about the first girl you're going to hang out with. Right. <laughs> All this stuff that you picture in your mind, trust me, is not the way it goes about. I didn't know how affected I was, Mark, by that experience with this guy. That the first time I had an opportunity to do something and be a, connect with a female, my body could not function, if you know what I mean. Wow. All I remember, Mark, was listening to the keys every time, every night. This guy used to come and do the, the head count. Oh, boy. And he used to look at me and says, are you awake? Oh, man. <laughs> and I could hear those keys. And now I'm here with this woman. This is like, oh, my God, an amazing moment. I'm, I'm picturing, like, the stories that I'm going to tell to. And, dude, I just couldn't do it. My body said no. I now realize my emotional chakra is closed. Wow. I wasn't open. I was so close. So yeah, it was it was it was it was insane. Oh my goodness. Whew. And, and just putting that behind you. I mean, that's a book in itself. And then man, transitioning out. What was that like? Well, I go back again. Um I tell the story to the kids because I've been I've been going in for about a little bit over four years to a Miami prison to talk to the kids because uh, I truly believe I do have something to say. It's not that I just want to say something. Oh, they listen. I, I, I've been uh, several times and with Jamie, and, and they honestly, I, he's such a uh, terrific and seasoned speaker. He, he has, when I get up there and talk, there are kids basically yawning, and I don't know if they're paying attention, but... Jamie definitely has their attention once he tells them that, hey, I, I was in your shoes and I know exactly what it's like. And then he shares the details of his story and they are definitely paying attention. One, one of the one of the the things that I tell them, you know, um, is this. All of you guys are thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. Oh, my God, I'm dying to get get the hell out of here. I tell them my story. 
I said, when I walk out that door, there's a little line that divides prison and freedom. And I remember my dad went to pick me up. And I just stood at that line with two boxes with books. That's all I had. Had nothing else. And I remember my feet being anchored to the ground. I could not move because I was so looking forward to this day. I'm out. I'm, and I just stood there. And I just look at the building and I look at my dad. And I just look at the building and I just look at my dad. I was so scared to go out. Because that, the question was, would I be able to handle this? See, I've been conditioned. They tell me what time to wake up, what time to go to bed, get up, get down, work, do this and that, and eat at certain times. Now it's like, I got to go back. Would I be able to handle this? The unknown, even a bad situation, like we talk about bad relationships or negative relationships, even a negative relationship provides you with some sense of security. and, And you're going into the unknown. Right, and I know that, God forbid, if something was to happen to me again, if I get in trouble, there's no more camp. I'm going I'm going for a bigger sentence, and it's something bigger. And, I, and again, I don't know. You know, I don't have a job. I don't have a place to stay. I'm going to a halfway house. So it was talking about uncertainty. It was uncertainty everywhere. And I was so scared, and someone, that's one of the things I, I tell the kids. I said, listen. You have to plan the work and work the plan. And it's a very simple system. But a lot of people, you know, they just go out there and try to hit a target they cannot see. So that's one of the things that is so important and crucial for not just for, for the kids at the prison, but just to anybody. I like to say that a lot of people plan more their vacation than their lives. Right. You ask them, hey, wait, John, what are you going to do on vacation? Oh, my God, I'm going to go rock climbing. I'm going to go into this cruise ship, and I'm going to go do this. And then when he gets back, say, hey, how was your trip? Oh, my God, I went rock climbing. I went into this. I got a massage. Everything. Now what are you going to do? Uh, nah, I'm going to go back to work. Yeah, it's when you get a – we always talk about setting up your life like it's your vacation. If you don't do something you love, you shouldn't be doing it. And Unfortunately, a lot of people uh, – forget the person they are and become the person they need to be for an extended period of time, but then they forget who they are. Absolutely, yeah. That, so. that, that identity uh, creates, you know, opportunities, but at the same time, limitations, because sometimes we don't update. I like to, now with our technology, you know, every now and then, even Facebook says, hey, download, there is a new update on this, on this whether it's Instagram or whatever, or even on your own phone. I ask people, when was the last time you updated your own beliefs? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you updated your associations? When was the last time you up- updated your, your sense of identity? And a lot of people, they just stare at you because they don't. Sometimes, you know, it takes uh, death, sickness for us to check and check our priorities, see what's important and what's not. So that's why I get so passionate about coaching. And, you know, a lot of people you know, have different beliefs about what coaching is. And the coach is not better than the person they're coaching. Mm-hmm. They just have a different, they have a different insights about the person and understand certain patterns that we, again, we run unconsciously mm-hmm. because we're so caught up in the doing that we never stop and ask the deep questions. So that's part of the, the work that I do. And the reason I get so excited to ask people the right questions. 
Right. So let's just go back a little bit. You you get out. Uh, you're you're in Miami, and then you become a trainer at a corporate wellness facility. You do that for a little bit, and then you decide that because training is so heavily into the emotional side and the relationships and and the coaching. Because I firmly believe that training in itself is maybe five or ten percent of the actual work 90 percent of it is the emotion like a lot of times people come to me and they say hey i'm going to train with mark Magner because i i need him to motivate me and i'm thinking man that that's not going to happen i mean i can get someone motivated for five minutes or a session or two and and really you know be a drill sergeant but if i have to light the flame it's not going to work so you realize that and we had this talk is so much emotional preparation and discussion going on to help these people through such difficult times or challenges in their life that you want to specialize in that right. and tell tell us how you transitioned well there's i get i get so excited because again i've seen people going in there trying to make a change in their bodies you can go try to change your behavior in a moment. And that works for the moment. But if you haven't changed the driving force, which is the identity, trust me, one of the, the strongest needs that, that we that the need that we have is to make sure that our behavior is consistent with our identity. That is the strongest force there is in the personality. And if you are able to change your body, that I mean, I see this people with liposuctions it's a perfect example a lot of people say hey listen i'm chubby i gained 30 40 50 pounds i'm gonna get a liposuction what happens the statistics go like this 99 percent of the people that get liposuctions and get all this work they go back and they actually get bigger wow why they try to change the look but there is an internal internal mirror inside and that internal mirror will always match our bodies our finances and everything that we do so looking at people and especially if i've had the privilege to train with you there is a different mindset that goes into the game and the mindset initially from the very beginning is i am an athlete sometimes we joke around and we say well i'm not an athlete but the fact of the matter is that there is a strong belief system right there and the challenge with a lot of people is that yeah they want to let's say change their bodies change their careers but right right next to identity beliefs we have something called standards and there are certain standards that people will always go there to make sure that the standard is there not because it's possible or it's affordable because it's part of their standards part of who they are as a person so that's when it, that's the idea that I bring into the table with updating our belief system. Could there be the possibility or the notion that the identity that I currently have for myself is not the best identity that I could have? Or, or can I ex- expand on my identity? Can I expand on my role models? Can I expand on all this? And the answer is absolutely yes. That's the only way we're gonna find that progress when we feel that we're making, you know, that we're growing. So that that's the difference. I believe that with the physical aspect, 
updating our belief system, updating our identities, that's when transformation can happen and that's when change is lasting, Mark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to get the education, because you, you know, anyone can go to college to become a uh, psychoanalyst or a physical therapist or, uh, uh, excuse me, not physical therapist, uh, psychologist. Uh, you go to take uh, NLP and you spend a lot of time and money trying to learn and become a certified NLP coach. Tell us what NLP is. Well, NLP is, stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's how our brain codes information. And pretty much our brain, uh, the way we're wired up, we consciously and unconsciously create associations. We create what is called neuro associations. And people are not aware of how these associations are controlling our state. Everything that we do is based on the, in the state that we have. So if we don't control our state, our mind, our brain has the ability unconsciously to control our state. So it's basically like a wild horse. Sometimes a lot of people say, hey, listen, you know, I don't know why I act the way I act. <laughs> I don't know why I, re I react the way I react towards my significant other, my boss. And it's based on that state. So if we can trigger the state, a lot of people say to me, say, hey, listen, I need to work on my patience. Well, you can try all you want to work on your patience. But if you have a, a, con a condition in, in the way you've been trained to respond, you're not going to have any patience because patience is also a state. <laughs> patience is a state of mind. So if you don't condition that state, on the daily basis, trust me, we we have automatic circuitry in our brains that affects our ability to tap into other regions of the brain. So basically, neuro-linguistic programming helps people to rewire, reconnect the brain, and it's based on language. It's based on language, the pattern, the, our physiology, and what we focus on. So it's very extremely effective. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in, in, in athletes, you know. When an athlete goes into the game, he has to pump himself up. You've never seen a guy walking out into the field saying, yeah, I think we're going to do okay. <laughs> you know, these people are jumping, they're screaming, they're running. That's a state, and that state mark can be triggered. Understood. And you've done lots of work over the years. You've been doing this for a long time. And can you tell us a little bit about, uh, obviously not, going into the identity but maybe some of the people you work with maybe you kind of combine some of the experiences you've had and give us a smorgasbord of the types of scenarios you deal with very common scenario is i'm a mom i've been married to my husband for 20 years mm -hmm. kids are off to college uh oh i don't know who i am Mark. They literally say, I don't know what I like. I ask them, what do you want? You know, because with the idea based on focus, you know, you got to know what you want. And they say, that's the problem. I don't know what I want. The challenge with that is that these people, especially these women or guys, 
they lived the mom identity for so long that of course we program ourselves if we do what you've always done you will get what you've always gotten so it's very hard when you condition and you live your life trying to be there for everybody else and then now you have no purpose you forget the person they are and become the person they had to become or had to be exactly to to deal with the demands you know that we have in our daily lives but then our lives go beyond waking up and going to work is it possible for those individuals to remain true to themselves as they endure the peaks and valleys of being a in this case uh, a parent because i only know by watching my mother and i talk about it all the time on this on this podcast um she had two boys by herself. She was. She didn't have a lot of. Pauline Magnet didn't have a lot of time to herself to do her thing. If you know what I mean, is it possible to remain yourself through all that? Well, absolutely, Mark. But there, there, there is a journey that people have to uh, embark. And the fact of the matters is that it could be scary when, when you don't have again the resources. And when I'm talking about resources, I'm not speaking about money. But I'm talking about the mental resources because if you look back in history, there has been so many people that have been in exactly the same situation. But we don't know about those people sometimes, you know. And we hear about the Oprah Winfrey's and we hear about all these people, you know. But I honestly can tell you that if you look back in history, there are people, if anyone right now, if you, the people that are listening to this, if they're going through a challenge, this is a question that we ask ourselves. Who's bigger? Is the challenge bigger than me or am I bigger than the challenge? And let me tell you something. You can look back in history and in the period of history that we're in, there are people that have been through worse. They've written books. They can share with you what they've done differently. And sometimes we think, no, no, my, my problem is different than anybody's. No one has ever been here. Well, that's, that belief system is a challenge. So, yes, it, the point is it is possible, but we have to find, again, the resources that are going to help us believe in on, on possibilities. I like to, when I, when, I, when I coach people, let's say I'll give an example in a real estate um, company that I have the privilege to work with. I tell them when two people meet, there is a sale happening. Either you sell them on possibilities or they sell you on limitations. Wow. And that ha- that's happening constantly. You know, when, when we ask our significant other, hey, let's go to this restaurant, and she wants to go to a different restaurant, well, you have to sell that restaurant. But it's based on what's possible and the limitations that other people bring. So, but that's something very personal, Mark. That's a, that's a situation that people have to come to terms with themselves and ask this, themselves, am I willing to sacrifice the person that I've been mm-hmm. for the person that I need to become? Mm-hmm. And what what's your? I guess you would say success rate. I mean, is it? How hard is it well, to change these people? I I can I can tell you one thing, and I love the word you said, success, because we have to define what is success for everyone else out there. There's a ritual that I do lately. Okay, that uh, if you're following me on social media, you've seen me, which is skydiving. Right. <laughs> okay, so up. You jump take, all the time. You get 
many jumps in a week and you've jumped hundreds of times, right? Yes, but I've, I'm taking my clients uh, to do skydiving. And a lot of people will go, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has a lot to do with everything because, uh, as you know, there are only two fears that we have in our nervous system. That is the fear of a loud sound and that is the fear of falling. Every other fear, it's learned. The fear of failure, the fear of not being loved, even the fear of death has been learned, has been programmed in our minds. Once you go and you step up, literally, and, and you face this natural, I, I don't, I've never met anyone who says, no, I'm, I'm cool with heights. Everyone has this, it's a natural thing. Hey, I, I have the vertigo. I mean, I'm standing, then in, in the Empire State Building, you look down, you're going to go, your body's going to tell you, hey, something is here. So the minute that you go and do something that you've never done, all of a sudden, Mark, the possibilities are there. Because you realize that fear, as we've heard of before, and I know it sounds cliche, doesn't exist. Fear is in the mind. It's a product of the mind. I like to say that fear is faith in reverse. That we focus more on, on the worst case scenarios. We focus on what can go wrong. Because bottom line is this, our brain is not designed to make us, makes us happy, it's designed to protect us. And basically what fear is a, is a defense mechanism. So the success rate, it, it's pretty high. It's really high because the minute that you create a new belief system, that little, I like to call it the, the two degree, you know, and you, know, you change one degree in the direction that you're going to, that two degree looks like nothing on the first week. But on six months, six years so sometimes the changes that I do with the clients are results that you're not necessarily gonna see two days later and especially when we want these changes to be lasting you know and those changes that when people are promising oh I can change your life and I can do it in two days it only takes two days right it's not consistent it's right. not consistent it's been a, how can you change a pattern that has been going in a, in a particular direction for 30 plus years it's going to take some, I'm not saying it's going to take another 30, but there is, there is a journey that people got to jump in. What's the process like? How do you, how do these people find you? Good question. How do people find me? After the seven years working as a coach, and especially Miami is a very small place, 99% of the people that come to me have been referred by someone that has received a specific result of someone that has heard of me from somebody else because it, it takes I like to tell this a lot of people this lady took it the wrong way the other day said you have to stand in front of me emotionally naked okay and that is important because wow. we want to be able to you know don't send the representative to this coaching session leave mm. your representative there's a reason you're here so I like to some, sometimes a lot of people say okay convince me that what you're doing is the right thing i tell them i'm not in the, in, in the convincing business life if life hasn't taught you these lessons up until now i'm not going to do it right so for the most part i'm very lucky as far as i don't have to sell people because people call me and they say listen so and so work with you and she's very happy with the work you guys did tell me more i want to know how you do it mm -hmm. so Basically, I get those phone calls. It's, it's very hard to, you know, post stuff on social media. People don't know you. They don't know of you. They don't know if your intentions are sincere. So basically, the way I started 
I will go to people and I just go tell, you know, I learned this from Tony Robbins mm. and, you know, he's been a, and a big role model. I used to say, hey, listen, you have this smoking problem. If I can help you with this and if I can eliminate this in a couple of sessions, would it be worth $3,000? Wow. And they would say, well, fuck it, try it. So those people, you know, I've been so fortunate that I don't know if they were right. They were waiting. They were just ready for that moment. Perfect synchronicity, whatever. But it worked for a lot of these people. So I, that's, I basically refer my business. Um, it's based on referrals, based on trust and good advice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've uh, heard some of the, um, you know, skill sets that, that you've used. And they just really it's incredible, incredible uh deliveries approaches lots of knowledge there tons of experience and jamie has definitely uh, i guess we could say achieved the success as we may call it success like a change success is a change and some some sort of change in a positive way right i like one of one of the best definitions about success uh, was by earl nightingale used to say that uh, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. So if you're working towards your goal, you're successful. If you're a mom and that's what you want her to do, you're successful. So a lot of us associate, you know, again, with the social media and stuff like that, that success means a lot of money and a lot of cars, and that is a part of success, but by no means is the big picture. Right. about what success really means right and i've had uh, very successful finance people by definition that are uh, very successful financially and they'll they'll tell me you know hey that's not it's not everything and matter of fact uh, one of our guests who has had a very very popular podcast interview on the magna method said you know when he really did extremely well financially he remembers the head guy sitting him down and the head guy told him be very careful with this money because you have a different type of wealth now and never forget this money has done more to hurt people than it has to help people so you have to be mindful of that and be very careful how you live from this moment forward absolutely so um what what's it like now like where do you see yourself in five years with the coaching and what would you like to achieve well in the next five years i definitely see myself my goal i want to work with two families mm -hmm. and i've said this to you in the past one of one of um my dream client is Prince William. Now that people, a lot of people may laugh about that. Why? Why do I? Why do I? Why do I? I think that it'll be based on possibilities more. When when you look at me on paper, when you look at him on paper, right. there's one thing that it's obvious. What is wrong with you, kid? <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is the matter with you? And he's the, he's the younger one, right? No, he's he's the king. He's the, oh, he's he, the older yeah, one. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
Just so, because you think what he's making uh, challenging choices is that what it is? I I I basically because he got a lot of pressure. Oh, I mean, absolutely. He's got tons of pressure I, to live up to the family name and do the right thing all the time. He's under a microscope. Oh, I I, I believe that most of us our decision is what we're gonna have for lunch. Oh, what time we want to get up? And this guy has uh, countless pressure-filled decisions to make. I remember watching William and Harry. This on their mother's funeral. Right. And I remember them looking down and knowing that they could not express their emotion. Whatever the emotion is. I don't know if it's crying right. for them or whatever. But imagine, Mark, what that would do to someone. To know that you cannot express it because that is going to show the weakness and you're yeah. the king. And sign of weakness. And I it, think it's a sign of strength. Well, absolutely, but but now think about what that would do. And I remember seeing that, and I go, and I was just waiting for the emotion to come out, and it didn't come out. And I was like, wow, the things that people have to do. Put themselves aside. Yeah, or just to follow the code. There's, there's this code that, you know, they didn't sign up for it. They were born into it. So I, I truly believe that through my life experiences and what it what that would represent to the people, you know, way after I'm gone, you know, yeah. to see this average dude, you know, like the typical story of an, an ordinary person doing something extraordinary. Right. And I believe he's extraordinary in so many ways because yeah. he's a world leader. And I believe that the legacy that his mom has left is just unbelievable. And I believe it's going to spread out. So I definitely see myself in, within the next five years working for him what has there been any it's so, so interesting has there been any, any extreme circumstances that you would just like wow i can't believe like i coached that person through that i know like there's total privacy but what could you tell us about like extreme circumstances and you were like wow i don't even know if i was ready for that well there there, there are several uh incidents where I was like, wow, I can't believe I did this. Uh, to give you a story, I usually call all of my clients John. Mm -hmm. So John calls me, um, and I remember, it, it's amazing. A lot of people, people have to realize that when you're working, when people hire you as a coach, they truly take every single word that you say very, I mean very seriously. You become very influential in this person's life. Mm -hmm. And I remember that... Um, John, after there was a shooting, I don't remember, uh, in a school, and a lot of several kids were killed. It was awful. Very S sad. Sandy Hook, maybe? Perhaps. I don't remember right now, but I remember he called me and he says, Jamie, should I get a gun? <laughs> and this is a person that has a very explosive personality, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I said, John, absolutely, if you want to kill someone. And he says, well, 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 what do you mean? I just want to use it to protect me. And I said, John, do you realize the car that you drive and the people that you hang out with? Well, there's something here called road rage. And if somebody, you know, pulls up in front of me and you on your beautiful car comes out and he just kicks your car and you happen to have a very stressful day and you happen to have that gun on you. 
Twenty seconds later, you're gonna be going, "What did I just do?" Oh my goodness! And all of a sudden, your life will change forever. And all of a sudden, I told him that story, and he says, "You know what? You're absolutely right. I'm gonna stick with jujitsu." <laughs> and I said, "That was a very smart choice that you just made." Right. And and it was amazing because I I can promise you. That he asked me, and he was deaf. He was saying, "I need to have a gun," because at that moment he was being influenced by all this television and radio the media. and people, media blew this. People blew this out of proportion, and I don't think guns are the answer to to the the situation that we're living in the world right now. Definitely, yeah. and influence people to, for them to buy more weapons. I I think that's going to take us to to the wrong direction. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. So, I have to, I you know, I left this out, but I have to tell this story. Uh, several years ago when I met Jamie, we would train hard, hard, hard. And we would go to the, the local pool, Flamingo pool, swim for an hour, hour and a half. As soon as we get out of the pool, we're doing our triathlon simulation, break workouts. We start running and, you know, we have already been training for at least an hour and a half, maybe longer. We head north on the boardwalk, uh, North Miami Beach, and as we're coming back, we go all the way out to like 80th Street from 5th Street. We're on our way back, and Jamie is explaining to me the currents and how you know you got to be careful with certain currents because you get stuck out there. And as he's saying that, we're running by the old Gans Fort Hotel. Where there, coincidentally, is there are no lifeguards, and I heard a scream from the water. And when I, by the time I heard the scream, Jamie had already hopped the wooden uh, fence at the boardwalk. He had his shoes off. He dove in the water, swam all the way out to the kid. It took him about three minutes to get incredibly far out to this young man who had been drinking all day. And he was drowning, just like the movies, arms in the air, help, help. His friend bailed on him and was on sh- at shore. And Jamie took off to save the kid's life inevitably. And he, listen, he got out there so fast. It was like Baywatch. And it was just still, to this day, one of the most incredible things I saw. While Jamie was taking the kid uh, back to the shore... A helicopter flew over, U.S. Coast Guard, two police cars pulled up, um, a lifeguard pulled up, jumped on a paddleboard and started paddling out to Jamie. And when Jamie got to the shore with the young man after saving his life, uh, it was so funny because I was in awe of the whole thing. And Jamie just put his sneakers on. It was no big deal. But, you know, they they didn't even thank Jamie. The kid didn't thank Jamie because the kid was in shock. But... You know, Jamie just saved that kid's life. The police, not the Coast Guard, police, lifeguards, no one thanked Jamie. And I, I'll never forget that because I, 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 I couldn't even process it. He just saved that person's life. And now you're saving people's lives or helping them with their lives through the NLP. And, you know, you're doing a great job with it. So I think it's just tremendous what you do now. And you need to keep doing it because... People really, really need the help, and they need amazing people like like yourself in their lives, and they need the coaching because they don't have the answers. <sighs> that being said, I don't want to monopolize your time, so 
what I do now, I'm going to go to the speed round of questions, which is fun. You just give me quick answers. You can elaborate on a few if you'd like, but just got to be honest with me with these questions, man. People want to know more about life coach Jamie Rojas. So, Jamie, first question, favorite food? Favorite food, Italian. Ooh, where? La Locanda. <laughs> favorite ritual? Favorite ritual? I would have to say these days, skydiving. Skydiving. And you do that, you know, you jump on the weekend two, three times when you go out there? I try to do as many jumps as I can. It all depends on the weather. Right. Favorite pastime? Favorite pastime has to be riding the motorcycle, get to the chopper. What kind of motorcycle do you have? It's a chopper. It's a custom chopper. Very beautiful bike. That's a great story as well. Favorite sports team? Favorite sports team, I would say the Real Madrid. Nice. Favorite athlete? Favorite athlete, I would ha- it would have to be, um, I'm thinking um, it's got to be uh, Muhammad Ali, unfortunately. He yeah, passed. Yeah, he passed. God rest his soul. Favorite movie of all time? Favorite movie of all time. Uh, this is a tough one because uh, there are two movies that come to mind. So I'm not going to pick a movie. I'm going to pick this two. One is Braveheart. I love Braveheart. I'm a huge Braveheart fan. William Wallace. I am William Wallace and uh, Point Break. Point Break, but you live it. I am Bodie. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> minus the craziness on the backside there. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book, The Alchemist by far. I can challenge anybody. I know that book. That's a great, well. great book. If you haven't read it, you certainly need to start there. Paulo Coelho. Uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Ooh, it's gotta be probably. I haven't. I don't have a TV. I don't watch TV. But I think probably going back, it has to be the Fall Guy, 1980s series Ooh. with Lee Majors and uh, Heather Thomas. That, Heather yeah, Thomas. that was great. <laughs> that was a great show. Uh, favorite type of music? Favorite type of music? It has to be positive music. I like mood music. A beat. Uh, you know, probably techno music with has rhythm. Or also, I like rock. Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi. That's right. Song. That's right. Favorite quote? Favorite quote? Uh, it has to be favorite quote. Quick. Act, act, act as if everything you do matters. It does. That's a great quote. There's so many out there. Your mentor, your most influential mentor? Uh, my most influential mentor. Um, it's got to be a guy. I think his name is Mark Magna. Is that his name? Yeah. Okay, I'll do the jokes. It's true. It's not a joke. Your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant is La Locanda, my friend. Your favorite dish that you eat there? Uh, spaghetti, aglio olio, e peperoncino. Ooh. Allora parlo italiano. If you can name <laughs> three characteristics that best describe you uh funny i think i'm funny and real funny he is very funny but he's serious when he needs to be what type of message would you like to leave people with um moving forward in their lives as they deal with issues or problems and they're searching for a little bit of help i think probably this is the uh, the best story uh that i can tell people there is an intelligence that runs our body. This intelligence kills a million cells every second. 
and recreates another million cells every second. This intelligence is digesting the meal you just had mm. and you are doing nothing, nothing. Unfortunately, our time has run out with Mr. Rojas on this episode of Magna Method. Jamie's a very close friend of ours and we plan on having him back on the show in the very near future. Remember to check back in with us to hear more from Jamie and others. And you can do so by subscribing to Magna Method on iTunes or visiting markmagna.com. Thank you for tuning in today, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Magna Method.